0: okay so can you guys hear me now those of you who are in Cassie can you hear me can you hear me uh, the bird is actually not here the bird is many rooms away not that there are many rooms in the house but still um, Ari can you hear me yeah. All right. So this sounds better. Must've been. Oh yeah. The Wi-Fi does have a habit of singing that way. All right. So did people hear my dad joke, my apiary joke? Oh man, I tell such a good joke. It's actually a terrible joke, but I saw it. I saw. I saw it on the interwebs. Um, So I went to the apiary to buy a dozen bees. Wait, who's whistling? All right, I went to the apiary to um, buy a dozen bees, but the person at the apiary, because I thought I'd take a beekeeping, but the person at the apiary gave me 13 bees. And I said, I only asked for a dozen. Why did you give, give me 13? And he said, because I wanted to give you a free bee. (laughs) Ha ha ha. I guess you still can't hear me. That's why there isn't uproarious laughter everywhere. Okay, how many do we have? 16. Um, insert rim shot. Okay, thanks, Matt. Um, okay, so we ready to begin. Um, we are, remember that we are planning to meet today. I sighed really loudly, but it was muted. Okay. Um, We're meeting today and then um, optionally, but in order to finish the play Thursday and Friday at the same Antony and Cleopatra time, same Antony and Cleopatra channel. So Thursday and Friday, 1230 to two. Um, And I think and hope that that will be enough. Um, I also asked whether you were relatively clear on papers. And I said that uh, you could take till May 12th, Although the due date is May 4th, you can take till May 12th. Um, this is true for people graduating as well. How many people are graduating? Prue, you are? Um, anyone else uh, graduating this, this semester? Okay. So, uh, Prue, you can take till the 12th if you need to, um, as well as, as everyone else. Um, All right. Back to and in Cleopatra. We are at Act 4, Scene 1. Um, is that true in everyone's book that you're at Act 4, Scene 1? Okay, good. Because as I say, there's some editions that do the act um, transition at a different place. And uh, why, I don't know, except I think they think that that gives you a sense of the structure of the play in a different way. Okay, we need... Um, for this short scene, we need Caesar, Agrippa, and Messina's, and I am going to follow my own gallery view. So um, Caesar is Cassie, uh, Agrippa is Ari, and Messina's is Matthew. And
1: should, I, should I
0: start? Yes, begin.
1: Okay. He calls me boy and chides as he had power to beat me out of Egypt. My messenger he hath whipped with rods, dares me to personal combat. Caesar to Antony, let the old ruffian know I have many other ways to die. Meantime, laugh at his challenge.
0: So, um, uh, what? How does Caesar know that? Or when did? How does Caesar know that Antony called him boy? <coughs>
2: Is it in the letter?
0: I don't think so. I think it's when um, the uh, messenger says to him, the ambassador comes back, and he says to Cleopatra um, what the message is. He says, let her know it. And then he explains it to her, to the boy Caesar, send this grizzled head, and he shall fill thy wishes to the brim with principalities. So, um and then remember, Cleopatra simply says that head, my lord. So that is what has been reported to Caesar. Now this is um, this is also a moment where we can return to the question that Elvi um, put us onto a week or two ago, and that other people have been asking about. Um, we don't have to. You're not supposed to spend your time literally thinking. Wait, how did he find that out? Was it in a letter? Um, was it? That there was a spy there? Did he send the ambassador back? What happened? It's that the general idea in drama is that when we see something happen, then when it's no longer in very short-term memory, the expectation is that everyone relevant knows what has happened. That's the default. And this is like, we talked about this a while ago, like knowing characters' names. People know each other's names in movies or in plays without ever being introduced. So that you can have um, some people sitting down to lunch, you can watch the whole scene. Never was there a time when they were introduced, but at the end of the, but but, um, they know each other's names. So the idea is we're not keeping track of, and this is just a general point about drama, we're not keeping track of who knows what, unless it's an issue, as to who knows what. So that is something that makes drama and film a lot more efficient than it otherwise would be. Um, if, you, if you try to uh, show the conveyance of all pieces of information, then you're just going to stop the thing dead in its tracks. So we do know that Anthony called him boy. He called him the scarce bearded Caesar before. Now he calls him boy um, in the previous scene. But um, how we know it, who was present at that moment, that's something that we don't pay attention to. The movie that's the greatest exposition of this or a great exposition of this is um oh shoot what's the title um the m night chameleon movie with bruce willis and um i see dead people that one no you guys don't know
2: it. is that the sixth sense
0: six cents yes thank you god i can't believe i was blanking on the title yeah have you seen it yeah okay so the point about sixth sense also the point about the usual suspects which is similar in in Um, in this way, is that you have to be reminded at the end of the actual circumstances where you got information. That is, you have to have flashbacks where you look again at scenes that you've already seen in order for the movie to show that it wasn't cheating, right? Um, so, So you find out that you had misconstrued what had happened between people. And when you find that out, you're going to think the movie cheated unless it shows you that it hasn't cheated, that you are watching the movie the way you watch any movie, which is that you have the characters, the default is characters have the same information that you do. And when it turns out that they don't, the movie has to demonstrate that they don't very explicitly. So um, you get what I mean, Ari, right? About that about that flashback, um, the flashback to the dinner, for example, um, where he's late for dinner, and which is kind of crucial, crucial, crucial scene in six, in uh, the Sixth Sense. He's late for dinner, and so there isn't a place um, uh, there for him. So, you know, you guys have another weekend coming up. You need something to do. Watch Sixth Sense. It's really um, fantastically great movie. Um, okay, so. Um All of this is stuff that we already know and then that great line let the old ruffian know I have many other ways to die Do people know how Augustus did die? What or at least what the famous rumor is So, um, he was Said although, um, historically no one knows whether this is true or not, but he was said to have been poisoned by his wife in old age so that is a kind of i don't know if you want to call it an easter egg um but it's um, oops here people joining it's a moment um where uh um where there's a kind of dramatic irony there he does have another way to die and the way he'll die is to be poisoned and i believe he was actually poisoned by by figs i think that it was poison figs that he was served but i'm not um i'm not confident of my memory of that. But if so, I love long life better than figs would also be um, at play there. I'll look it up after class. Okay. Um, Messinus.
2: Caesar must think when one so great begins to rage, he's hunted even to falling. Give him no breath, but now make boot of his distraction. Never anger made good guard for itself.
0: So that's exactly what Ina Barbas has already said. Um, that, that, um, when straight, when straights are desperate, then you can take advantage of the other person's, um, desperate attempts to, um, uh, gin themselves up and, um, be able to fight back. That's what we were talking about in boxing and fencing last time. Um, Caesar. Caesar.
1: Let our best heads know that tomorrow, the last of many battles we mean to fight. Within our files there are, of those that served Mark Antony but late, enough to fetch him in. See it done and feast the army. We have store to do it and they have earned the waste. Poor Antony.
0: So I love that poor Antony, even at this point. Um, oh, sorry, I signed someone with Agrippa, but um, um, even at this point, um, Caesar is willing to feel a little bit of sympathy for him because he knows he's won. And um, what he's saying is, I could beat Antony just with those who served him. I don't need my own army to beat him. Enough people have defected that they alone could defeat the remnants of, that that they alone could defeat the remnants of Antony's military force. Um, They're all I need. And then notice that this whole question of Antony's prodigality, his wastefulness, um, compared to Caesar's extreme carefulness with all his possessions, with all his inventory, with all his goods. um, Notice that here he is saying something that is a typically Caesarian oxymoron feast the army, we have store to do it. That is feast the army because we have plenty. It's not um, going to make a dent in, um, in our own supplies. And, then, and they have earned the waste. That's an oxymoron. Um, to say that someone has earned something means that you owe it to them and you can't really treat it as wasteful. But Caesar is the only kind of waste that he... Will indulge in is waste that is um, in fact not waste but but proper payment. So compare this to Antony saying, "I have a ship laden with gold. Take that, divide it, fly, and make your peace with Caesar." That is, Antony is prodigal even when he has nothing. He will give everything that he does have even when he is reduced almost to the last ditch. He will give everything that he does have to others. Caesar will only do it when we have store to do it and they have earned the waste. So here's another really good example of the opposition in attitude towards the world, um, the opposition between, um, um, the, the, what in any of you, t- um, are any of you anthropology majors who do any of you take anthropology? Huh? Look at that. Um, anyone know what a potlatch is? So a potlatch, Oh, um, Alex, you do good. What's a potlatch?
3: I, I don't know what a potlatch is, but I'm an ant miner.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So a potlatch is is it's a northwest Indian term. That is the quakey and the clingit use it. Um a northwest Indian term for um spectacular wastage. Um we talked about something like that uh before. Um so uh so so what what happens in the potlatch is yeah, we did talk about this, is that um, um, wealth is thrown into the ocean or burned. Um, and this shocked the European missionaries who first came to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and they saw this as terrible. Shakespeare clearly knew about this because he says in Othello compares himself to the line as a base Indian can you guys still hear me? I'm getting instability. Raise hands if you can hear me. No? Okay. Okay, can you, okay, good. Um, that um, Othello, yeah, thank, um, got it. I, th- I think people have, have their hands raised. So I'm assuming people can hear me now. Um, are you raising your hand to say something, Matthew, or just to show you can hear me? We don't know, oh well. Um,
2: sure
0: I could hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, that Othello says compares himself after he's killed Desdemona. He says that he is like, in one version, there's a quarter in a folio, like the base Indian who threw away a pearl worth more than all his tribe. In another version, it's like the base Judean who threw away a pearl worth more than all his tribe. I'm almost certain that the right word is Indian because I think that Shakespeare knew about, um, had heard about new world practices of the potlatch, of the destructiveness of wealth. And this is what we were talking about um, last week, the um, Shakespeare's interest in people who are absolutely prodigal, absolutely wasteful with everything that they have. Uh, Remember I wasted time and now doth time waste me. So contrast that with they have earned the waste. But even then that moment when Caesar is at his most, at his closest to an Alexandrian vocabulary, that's the moment when just for a moment he can say poor Antony. Um, That's going to be Caesar at the end as well. At the end of the play, um, when he um, um, orders a tomb built for Antony and Cleopatra, that's another of those rare moments of sympathy on Caesar's part. He's sympathetic to his sister. He's sympathetic here to Antony. And at the very end, he will be sympathetic to the dead Antony and Cleopatra. Um, by the way, since we did talk about this and since I sent you the link, um, I think the National Theater version of Antony and Cleopatra, which is gonna be showing in a couple of weeks, um, Ray Fiends is really, really good in it. Um, I think it's a mixed bag, but I think it's worth watching. And um, one thing that they do, this is um, something we also talked about last week, um, is to make sure that the audience knows that Andy and Cleopatra are going to end up dead. So they do the very last scene first. Um, Cleopatra's death, the death of both of them. That's how they do it. And then the rest of the play is a flashback that then brings us back to the last scene. At any rate, it's really worth watching for Ray um, Fiends's performance, which is which is just wonderful. Um, not the greatest um, production ever, but worth watching. I, I don't think I sent you, I told you this, maybe I meant to, but I think I forgot. Um, apparently they're also doing Macbeth um, the week before that. So you should go to the National Theatre website. If I remember, I'll try to um, go and send you a link to Macbeth as well. But see, the two plays um, that we're doing. Okay. Act four scene two, enter Anthony, Cleopatra, Enabas, Charmian, Iris, Alexis with others. So Matthew, you can be Anthony because you weren't in the previous scene. Um, e, you can be, I'll just do it in order of the enter of those entering. E, you can be Cleopatra. Elisa, you can be Enabas. Um, Prue, you can be Charmian, Nicole, you can be Iris, Elvi, you can be Alexis, and um, I'll be, I'll be any others. Um, so, go.
2: He will not fight with me, Demidius. No. Why should he not?
4: He thinks being 20 times of better fortune he is 20 men
2: to one. Tomorrow, soldier, by sea and land I'll fight, or I will live, or bathe my dying honor, and the blood shall make it live again. Would thou fight well?
4: I'll strike and cry, take all.
0: So let me just um, pause there. That may um, remind you a little of young Seward in Macbeth, and it would or possibly of um, young Macduff. And it you may not know this, but in Henry VI, part one, how many people have read the Henry VI plays or any of the Henry VI plays? It's okay, you're not missing much. This would be very, very advanced and not that great Shakespeare. Um, uh, the Henry the VI plays were among the earliest plays that he wrote and he hadn't um, quite found his footing yet. Um, The last of that tetralogy is Richard III, which is uh, the first really great um, history play that Shakespeare wrote. So he wrote a tetralogy, Henry VI, parts one, two, and three, and finally, Richard III, which is the last in that sequence. Um, But in Henry VI, part one, which might be the third of the three that he wrote, I know it's confusing, but not that confusing. Um, In Henry VI, part one, there's a scene with um, Uh, English hero named Talbot and his son and um, this relationship of young men who are braver than they have a right to be. They say things like, um, I'll I'll strike and cry take all. And I think what we can feel here is that Ina Barbas is um, not saying what he really thinks anymore. He's trying to be enthusiastic mm-hmm. or indicate enthusiasm to Antony. But remember, he's already said, I will find some way to leave him. So if you're playing a barbus here, I think the point is that he's going through the motions. Um, Antony?
2: Uh, well said, come on, call forth my household servants. Let's tonight be bounteous at our meal. Give me thy hand, thou hast been rightly honest.
0: Notice again, (laughs) Caesar says, feast the army. Antony, let's be bounteous at our meal. Okay, Antony, go on.
2: Give me thy hand, thou hast been rightly honest. So hast thou, thou, and thou, and thou. You have served me well, and kings have been your fellows.
0: So these are all the servants. He's now um, thanking them for everything that they've done. So do you read this as a farewell? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it sounds like what he's saying, you were such, such good servants to me and kings have been your fellows, um, which is what he said before, that he used to have superfluous kings for messengers. And then Cleopatra, and Barbas have um, a really wonderful um, interchange here, um, both here and a few lines later. So Cleopatra, pick up.
5: What means this? Is one of those odd tricks which
4: sorrow shoots out of the mind.
0: So notice again that um, we're being told how to interpret this moment, that Cleopatra and Ina Barbas are prompting our own interpretation um, and prompting how Antony should play this. That <laughs> is that you should be able to see um, sorrow in this in, in in this farewell or hear the note of sorrow in his farewells to the servants. Antony goes on.
2: And thou art honest too. I wish I could be made so many men, and all of you clapped up together in an Antony, that I might do you service so good as you have done.
0: So notice again, an Antony, yet again, I wish I could be made so many men, I wish I could be as many people as you are, and you could be one person. So that I could do for you what you have done for me, so that many Antonys could do um, for you, as a single Antony, all the things that you've done for me. Okay, I'll be all the servants. The gods forbid!
2: Well, my good fellows, wait on me tonight. Scant not my cups, and make as much of me as when mine empire was your fellow too, and suffered my command.
3: What does he mean?
4: to make his followers weep.
0: So what does he mean is she kind of is asking, um, what, interpret what he's saying. That is, um, is he saying that um, this is gonna be the last night? Is that what he means by what he's saying? But Ina Barbas takes mean there um, he does a little conceptual pun on it, which is not how do you interpret his words, but what is his intention in saying what he's just said? So again, that is a way of a way that Shakespeare is thematizing the very question of how you understand a character on stage. You could imagine that um, a conversation like that, could be, um, the the actors could have that conversation in a read through of Antony and Cleopatra. The director could say, so why does Antony say that? What does he mean? And the answer would be to provoke a certain response, to make his followers weep. Nicole,
5: Sorry, so is Inabarbas taking it like, what does he mean to do?
0: Yeah, Um, why, what does he mean? um, What is his intention? Um, in saying that. What is his purpose in saying what he's just said? So yeah, what does he mean to do? Um, perlocutionary is exactly right. Um, well, actually, Ill- illocutionary with prolocutionary effect. Um, Sun Kyung is, is um, talking about uh, something which you should all know about, which is called a performative utterance. And what a performative utterance is, is something that um, when you say something, you're actually doing something. And so um, this is parenthetical but important. Um, A performative utterance is um, something like saying, I do, in a wedding ceremony, because when you say, I do, um, you're not just saying words that Describe a fact. Do you take this person to be your lawful wedded spouse? When you say, I do, you're not just saying, yeah, I do. If you you want to know, the answer is yes. You're actually doing it by saying it. If you say, um, I christen this ship the President Trump, um, what you are doing is you are actually naming the ship, not only describing yourself when you do that. So if you say something that is going to have an effect in the world rather than simply mirroring the world, that's called a performative utterance. And um, prolocutionary is, is one kind of effect that a performative utterance um, could mean. So Antony is about, actually, yeah, what Sun Kyung says is, is, is absolutely important here because um, what Antony means to do is not what Ina Barbas says he means to do. He's about to say what he means to do. And Ina Barbas talks about the effect of his meaning to do something on those that he means to do it. In other words, for example, um, just think of all those cases when, I always get a road rage as as my go-to for this. Um, Someone cuts you off and you give them the finger. Um, What you mean to do is to make them feel like a jerk for having cut, cut you off. What you actually do is get them to feel angry and self-righteous. So what you mean to do in saying something that's in saying it or in making a linguistic gesture, you mean to do something, but by saying it, by making that gesture, you actually end up causing a different effect. And I think this this goes back to everything we've been talking about, about how to interpret drama. So illocutionary means in saying something. Literally, it just means in saying something, you mean to be doing something, um, to be rebuking the person who cut you off. But by saying it, that is perlocutionary, what you actually do is um, have a different, provoke a different response than you may have meant to provoke. Elvin.
4: Oh, sorry, just uh, another question. Um, so we have been keeping track on the, some of the specific language that's used in this play, like the third person narrative, like the and Antony, uh, like the bagging. And so uh, I think I was just wondering, like, where are we getting at? So, like, are we supposed to conclude something from a specific usage or, like, are we supposed to, like, what's um why are they there and what's what are their meanings and uh what make them special, noteworthy, and uh why they're being in this play, Anthony and Cleopatra, distinguish this play from other Shakespeare plays?
0: So um I so I'm not sure everyone quite heard what you said, but um, because the sound wasn't great, but I think I got the question, which is um, Why the third person imperatives? What are they doing here? What are they meaning here? Um, What's uh, to what extent are we supposed to notice them? So so the easy question to what extent are we supposed to notice things? Um, The answer is that we're supposed to notice everything but the way we notice it is intuitively rather than discursively. So in a class like this, um, and this is something that I've ranted about before. The idea is to figure out what the actors and the director and Shakespeare himself noticed rather than what the audience is supposed to notice explicitly, but intuitively it all builds up to an effect. And um, the effect of the third-person imperatives here is an effect of um, a kind of power in language that nevertheless um, may not um, engage with the world. So um, some of you may know uh, that the great Irish poet Avon Boland died um yesterday Um, do people know about her and about her death Uh, i don't know if her obituary is out in the times yet but at any rate she's she was 75 um she actually has a new book coming out and purely by chance the new yorker has a poem by her in this week's issue um if you look at the new yorker Um, what you'll see is that the, that the, um, contributors notes just say Avon Boland will publish a new poetry collection, the historians in the fall, but, um, they published the poem like a day before she died. And I don't think they knew that that was happening, but it's a great poem. It's called Eviction and it's about her grandmother who has been evicted from her house and, um, She's describing it in the present tense. And then at the end of the poem, um, she um, uh, places it in time. And what she says is, I'll just read you the last eight lines or so. A nation, and I'll send you a link later. Um, A nation, or maybe I can put the link in chat. Can you guys click on a link in chat? Um, Oh well, anyhow. a woman is leaving a court. Oh, I should just share the screen. Um, let me do that. Um, share a screen. And what I want is, um, I don't want any of this. Oh, here it is. This is what I want. Um, Okay. Okay. Can you guys see the screen? So the, the poem is, uh, and you can even get audio of her reading it. Um, See April 27th and she died April 27th. Eviction on April 27th. Audio read by the author. Um, This is available. You don't need to be logged in to get it from the New Yorker. Um, But she describes her grandmother. So this is starting here. A woman leaves a courtroom in tears. A nation is rising to the light that is, Ireland is. History notes the second, not the first, nor does it know the answer as to why on a winter evening in a modern Ireland, so we're talking about the winter of 2019-20, nor does, nor does history know the answer to, as to why on a winter evening in a modern Ireland I linger over the page of the Drogheda Argus and Leinster Journal, 1904. That is the um, journal that describes her eviction notices. Knowing as I do that my attention has no agency, none at all, nor my rage. So this idea of, you know, um, now I have to and uh, sorry I 'm just trying to oh stop share, there we go. Um, this idea um, that um, the intensity of your intention or wish or experience of something might have agency if you're Antony and Cleopatra. Or it might not, if, to quote Antony, authority melts from you. That is that what you get, if authority melts from you, if you have given all your power away and all your um, wealth and all your leverage away, all that's left is the imperious Language that you have, the language of the third person imperative. So that is what I don't know if I quoted this in this class or not, but I quoted in a lot of Shakespeare classes. Hazlitt in his essay on Coriolanus, I'm sure I quoted this last semester. Hazlitt in his essay on Coriolanus says, The language of poetry falls in naturally with the language of power the principle of poetry is a very anti-leveling principle. And I don't think that's quite true about Shakespeare. I would say, and I do say, that the language of poetry in Shakespeare always falls in with the language of the loss of power. As you lose power in the world, this is how tragedy works. As you lose power in the world, the only place that it can go is into ever more intense language. If that didn't happen, tragedy would not be an interesting form. If things didn't get more intense within the world of loss, or to call to quote um, Antony, within the heart of loss, if things didn't get more intense as you are losing everything, Tragedy would be of no aesthetic interest. The point is that the power in tragedy is a kind of counter spirit, to quote Wordsworth, a kind of counter spirit to the loss of power in the world. Tragedy becomes more powerful as its figures lose every other kind of power, what they gain is tragic power or aesthetic power, which in a Shakespeare play means that what they gain is linguistic power. And that's what the third person imperative is meaning. And that's what Ina Barbas is saying when he says Antony means to make his followers weep. That's what tragedy means to do, is to make you weep. Nicole.
5: Is that also related to like punning, like when you're depressed, like gone?
0: Yes. Yeah, pity and gr- to, again to quote Richard II, pity and grief of heart makes him speak fondly. Like um, oh, what is it? Um, well, at any rate, makes him speak fondly. Um, he's lost everything, but that then means that his language becomes all the more baroque. All the more um, fantastic in both senses of fantastic. Um, okay, so let's pick up from there. Um, so what does he mean? You know, to make his followers weep, Antony.
2: And me tonight, maybe it is the period of your duty. Happily you shall not see me more or if a mangled shadow. Perchance tomorrow you'll serve another master. I look on you as one that takes his leave. Mine honest friends, I turn you not away, but like a master married to your good service, stay till death. Tend me tonight two hours, I ask no more, and the gods yield you for it.
0: And the gods yield you for it. Yeah. Um, So the gods um, um, pay you back for it. And notice that this is a farewell. Elvie
4: just a follow-up question and that was a really amazing explanation Thank you um, follow-up question so what does the use of like an Antony uh, work in this play uh, like what does it do and just uh, what makes it so distinguished
0: okay so let's hold on to that question because I think it's um, there's a there's a particular scene where um, I think it, it'll be appropriate to speak of it. Um, but it, um, it is related to these questions of how much agency do you have in the world? And, um, Anne Antony would make, um, if you think of the the distinction between being Antony and being Anne Antony, um, Anne Antony would be a natural object in the world, Being a person, being a tragic figure, being someone who is a subject in the world, um, or no, just being a subject within being, um, having first-person experience, um, you can think that if you are effective in the world, then your first-person experience and your um, efficacy in the world as someone who is doing things, that those things merge, that that's fine. But again, what happens in the heart of loss is that you get separated even from yourself. That is the real Emerson um, distinguishes between the biographical person and the real me, as he calls it. And that distinction, which we all feel, it's a Cartesian distinction. It's what is um, deepest within us and therefore least characterizable. When those things come apart and we are only thinking about what is the deepest subjectivity. Um, Let me just quote another poem for you since it's our last week. Um, This is Mark Strand's poem, Reasons for Moving. Some of you may know it. And Mark Strand, uh, the poem begins, in a field, I am the absence of the field. That is that what you really are in your deepest selfhood is something that is the absence of the world. And what the world is, is something that is other than you. And um, um, that would include, as Emerson says, your own body is not you. It's something in the world and not you. And um, most of the time, that's simply not true. Most of the time, you're the person who makes breakfast and, um, and social distances and um, writes your papers and so on. And you're an agent in the world. You interact with others um, the way they interact with you. And you don't think for more than one minute in a hundred of the weirdness of your headless subjectivity. Um, Some of you know that drawing by Ernst Mach that I like so much, a self-portrait from his own point of view. And what he particularly says is if you do an accurate self-portrait from your own point of view, you draw your body without a head because you don't see your own head. But most of the time, we don't think about that. Most of the time, we're just agents interacting with other agents, and it's fine. But in tragedy, what we become aware of is our estrangement from the world of interaction and of activity. And that means an estrangement in the most intense moments of tragedy, it means an estrangement from one's, one's self as one usually thinks of oneself. And so for Shakespeare, that means Antony is, and, and Antony are separate things. Anne Antony is a figure in the world, someone who goes around doing stuff, um, taking in kingdoms, enfranchising other kingdoms, fighting Pompey, marrying Octavia, and so on. But deep within is the real estranged self, which is estranged from everything and that when you feel that that estrangement that you can't um, overcome it. Um, I just wrote an essay on this word. So um, I'll tell you about it. There is in what's called existential psychoanalysis sometimes called Dasein analysis. um, There is a concept called extravagance Um, in German, it's Stiegenheit, which means climbing up so high that you can't get down alone. But the English translation extravagance means, um, the literal meaning of extravagance means to wander beyond every boundary so that you cannot find your way home. You are at a place where there is nothing, no way that you can help yourself and that moment of extravagance, of no longer being part of the world, but wandering or being wayward outside the limits of the world. That for Shakespeare is the moment of tragedy. That for Shakespeare is where we get to someone who um, is no longer an Antony, because any Antony, is someone who's interacting with the world but when you are no longer an antony even if you're antony but you're no longer an antony then what you are is perchance a mangled shadow and it's being sent into that world of the shadow of of shadowedness that I think this play more explicitly, although Shakespeare does this all the time, think of King Lear set on the heath. That is an extravagant moment in almost the literal sense. He has wandered outside every human habitation and every human polity. So extra means outside, just the root meaning is extra, outside. Vagant from vagere in Latin, which means to wander. That's what happens in tragedy, is that figures find themselves in an extravagant situation. And in that extravagant situation, they cannot rescue themselves. An Antony is part of the world that's not extravagant. And when Antony separates from an Antony, then he is separate from worldly presence and worldly action. So again, I think that's the intuition that Shakespeare wants to convey to an audience, that there's something we can, we understand. Um, And Antony, someone who is effective in the world, who does stuff in the world, who we, his followers, would interact with in the world. And then beyond that, there is this lonely, solitary, existential, subjective being now without hope and without any recourse or any resource within the world and that is the tragic figure so um, but we'll see more of that as i say as we go on
4: so wow that is magnificent i got goosebumps
0: <laughs> wow well say that again that's great <laughs> if i ever need a letter of recommendation from you i <laughs>
4: I'll definitely write that
5: for you,
0: okay. <laughs> totally. Uh, Tish.
5: No, I just wanted to ask, so Anne, you know, if you, something's Anne, it could be me- many, it's not just one. So this inner self is just one, very unique. But Anne, does that imply there are many selves that could be the outward Anthony?
0: Yeah, and I I would say it's not, there are many, you know, it's not plural as in, um, uh I don't know, being John Malkovich is not being Antony. Um, It's not plural as in uh, there could be a lot of them wandering around the world. Although um, Kafka does use the term an Abraham um, or another Abraham in his amazing um, retellings of the Abraham and Isaac story. But I think what this just means is an Antony is someone who is doing stuff in the world and who is interacting with lots of other people, each of which is dealing with an Antony. So um, it's not that you're plural to yourself, but it's that you have plural relationships with others. And in those plural relationships with others, it's you're aware of yourself as someone who is doing multiple things in the world with multiple other people. And you're all there in the self that's doing those multiple things in the world with multiple other people. But I don't think, but I think that um, when you lose all of that to the extent of extravagance, to the extent of being so wayward that you are no longer part of the world or you feel your relationship to the world um, dissolving, um, I think when that happens, that's where you distinguish between being Antony, whatever that being still can be, and all those Antony's that you used to be um, when you were interacting with others and when they were interacting with you. And each of them had an idea of who Antony is, um, but now all of that is um, dissolving. Uh, Nicole.
5: Yeah, I'm not trying to really get the difference between ex- extravagance and diamondization.
0: Diamond is, I th- no, I, th- I think that's a great question.
5: Um, and I think that
0: it is, um, uh, that might be a great paper topic because it, because let's just say if you wanted to write a paper in which you take it as read, that Antony is about um, extravagance, um, I'm not sure you would quite say that about Cleopatra. I think maybe that we need a, yet another term for Cleopatra. But if you were to say that Antony is a figure of, um, of uh, existential psychoanalytic extravagance, if anyone wants it, I'm happy to send you the very short essay by the uh, analyst Ludwig Binswanger. Um, who comes up with this topic and which is called extravagance, but if you wanted to write a paper about Antony as a figure of extravagance in that sense versus Macbeth as a figure of diamondization, I think that would be um, a fascinating paper and I would love to read um, papers on that on that subject. So let me leave it there. Okay, let's pick up. Um, We'll see more about how Antony is extravagant. So now, Ina Barbas.
4: What mean you, sir, to give them this discomfort? Look, they weep, and I, an ass, am onion-eyed for shame. Transform us not to women.
0: Okay, so another example of stage direction given in a speech, everyone should be weeping, and um, Ina Barbas, when did he talk about onions before?
5: I think in the context of like crying or like making someone cry.
0: Yeah. The tears, when Fulvia dies, he says, the tears live in an onion that should water this sorrow. Um, So here he says that. And then he also later says Antony was troubled with a room that year. That is, he had a bad cold and his eyes were producing tears. And here he doesn't want to admit that he's crying, but he's crying. And then Antony's response is amazing. Antony.
2: Ho oh, ho, ho. Now the witch take me if I meant it thus. Grace grow where those drops fall. My hearty friends, form, you take form, me in form,
0: two- form, form, Grace grow where those drops fall.
2: Uh, third person imperative. Yes, good. Go on. My hearty friends, you take me in two dolorous ascents, for I spake to you for your comfort, did desire you to burn this night with torches. No, my hearts, I hope well of tomorrow, and will lead you where rather I'll expect victorious life than death and honor. Let's to supper come and join consideration.
0: Okay, so just very quickly notice that that's the difference between his intent, that is the illocutionary intent of his speech. I spake this for your comfort. They desire you to burn this night with torches and what happens the result of having that intent. So just because he wants to comfort them, he makes them weep just because He is celebrating with them and saying, let's have one other gaudy night. Um, The result is to make them weep. So there, that disconnect between what a character intends and what the character gets out of that intention, it doesn't disprove the intention. It shows the complexity of first person intention versus other person result of the manifestation of that intention. And that's, um, again, really crucial to how drama works. Okay, um, now an amazing scene between four soldiers. Um, so we are up to Nicole. I think we're up to uh, Prue, did you speak last time? Yeah. No, you didn't. Okay, so we'll start with um, with Prue, soldier one, Nicole, soldier two, Tish, soldier three, and
5: um, Grace Soldier Four.
3: Brother,
1: good night. Tomorrow is the day.
5: It will determine one way. Fare you well. Heard you no- of nothing strange about the streets?
0: Okay, so um, tomorrow's the day of battle, and now the soldiers are discussing it. So, uh, Soldier Two,
5: um, Soldier One.
1: Nothing. What news?
5: Be like it is. Be like it is, but a rumor. Good night to you.
1: Well, good. Well, sir, good night.
5: Soldiers, have careful watch. But so this should remind
0: you a little of the beginning of Hamlet. Um, soldiers are watching, some are going to bed, others are coming um, to keep guard, to, be, to keep sentry duty. And you, good
3: night, good night.
5: Uh, here we, and if tomorrow our Navy thrive, I have an absolute hope, our landmen will stand up.
1: Tis a brave army and full of purpose.
5: So now music plays. Peace, what noise?
3: List, list. Hark. Music in the air. Under the earth.
1: It signs well, does it not?
3: No. Peace, I say. What should this mean?
5: Tis the god Hercules, whom Antony loved, now leaves him.
0: Okay, so notice that this is a different use of mean from Ina Barbas's. Are we supposed to notice um intuitively those um th- those connections of meaning? I think so, because Ina Barbus um uses the word twice um or or interacts with the word twice. And now we get a different kind of meaning, and we get this amazing um description of why there's music everywhere. "'Tis the god Hercules whom Antony loved now leaves him.'" So um, how on earth would the second soldier know that? Doesn't matter. This is simply a fact that we're being told that Antony is being abandoned again by, his, um, by someone, in this case, his tutelary deity. Now it's gonna turn out, well, I, ju- I won't say this quite yet, um, but he's, he's abandoned by, by his guardian spirit. And notice the, that amazing um, formulation, tis the god Hercules, you might remember it, or if you ask a person on the street, ask the next person you meet, you meet how they remember that line, and everyone will misremember it as uh, tis the god Hercules who loved Antony now leads him. But that's not what's said here. It's the god Hercules whom Antony loved. The god is indifferent. He was with Antony. Now he isn't. Antony loved him and he rewarded that love for a while by being with Antony. But he never showed Antony love. And now he leaves him. First soldier.
3: Walk.
1: Let's see if, the, if other watchmen do hear what we do.
5: How now, masters?
1: How now? How now do you hear this?
3: Uh, I is it not strange? Do you hear, masters? Do you hear?
1: Follow the noise so far as we have quarter. Let's see how it will give off. Content to strange.
0: They all say. Good. Um, there's um, a wonderful play called Butley about um, a decrepit academic who's losing everything. And at one point in the play, he's talking about Antony and Cleopatra, and he describes this scene in a wonderful line. The air is filled with the gods departing music. So this is the gods departing music that we're hearing here. The air is filled with the gods departing music. Okay. Um, we need, we are up to Elvie, um, as Anthony, Hannah, as Cleopatra, um, and, um, does Eros speak in this scene? Um, yes, um, Cheryl as Eros, um, and Emery as a soldier, and Sun Kyung as the captain. Um, do we have Charmian yet? Um, okay. And, um, Matt as Charmian. Okay, begin.
4: Heroes, my armor, heroes. Sleep a little.
0: So it's early morning, we now know?
4: No, my chuck. Heroes come, my armor, Heroes. Come good fellow, put mine iron on. If fortune be not ours today, it is because we brave her, come.
1: Nay, I'll help too. What's this for?
0: So what's, uh, the, what's the this there? She's helping him get dressed but she doesn't know how armor works. So she's asking about little bits, uh, little um, um, clasps and, and um, belts on the armor. And um, so it's a cute scene in a moment where you wouldn't think you would have a cute scene.
4: Ah, let be, let be. Thou art the armor of my heart. Fuss, fuss. This, this. Sooth, la, I'll help. Thus it must be. Oh well, we shall thrive now. Seize so
0: thou? Help him buckle in. Okay.
4: Seest thou, my good fellow? Go put on thy defences briefly sir is this not is not this buckled well
0: yeah briefly sir means i'll do it in a second
4: <laughs> rarely rarely he that unbuckles this till we do please to daft for our repose shall hear a storm thou from heroes heroes and my queen's square squire more tight at this than thou dispatch oh,
0: He's dressing him better than Eros does. Notice again, we have a strange little stage direction. that fumblest Eros. Um, That should indicate that Eros is um, upset that his hands are shaking. Um, And um, Cleopatra is ready for this. Eros, not so much. Go on.
4: Spouch, O oh love, that thou couldst see my words today, and knewest the royal occupation. Thou shouldst see a workman in it. Good moral to thee, welcome. Thou looks like him that knows a warlike charge to business that we love, we rise time, and go to it with delight.
0: So here's the soldier who's returning before, um, and um, uh, Tish points out that this is harking back to the scene when Antony and Cleopatra cross-dress. Now Antony is dressing, but Cleopatra is helping him um, with the armor that she had earlier put on herself. Um, okay, uh, soldier?
4: A thousand, sir.
1: Early though it be, have on the riveted trim, and at the port expect you.
0: do
5: The, the morning's fair good morrow general
4: good morrow general it's well blown lads this morning like the spirit of youth that means to be of note begins betimes so so come give me that this way well said fairly well dame wherever whatever becomes of me this is a soldier's kiss rebukable and worthy and worthy shameful check it were to stand on more mechanic compliment. So I'll leave thee. is that
0: he's he's kissing her in public as he did at the very start. Um, but he's not taking a formal leave. He's saying um I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a mechanical leave to you. That would be rebukable. So he's kissing. Okay.
4: I'll leave thee now like a man of steel. So who knows where,
0: where Superman comes from <laughs> You all know that Superman is the Man of Steel? All right, so Antony and Cleopatra reference where you least expected it. Go on.
4: It was that will fight, follow me close. I'll bring you to it, A Jew.
0: Okay, Charmian. Uh, please you, retire to your chamber.
1: Lead me, he goes forth gallantly that he and Caesar might determine this great war in single fight. Then Antony, but now, well on.
0: So if only, now notice that is not an imperative, but a wish in a third person subjunctive mood, which is close to an imperative, but if it were imperative, it would be may not might. So now the imperatives are dissolving a little bit or deteriorating a little bit. If only he and Caesar might determine this great war in single fight, would that, he and Caesar might determine this great war in single fight. Then Antony she interrupts herself. But what she would have said is then Antony would be sure to win. But now, no, he won't. Well, on. Okay, uh, Antony and Eros. So um, Matt, your um, Antony, um, Talia, you can be the soldier. And, Alex, you can be Eros.
3: The gods make this a happy day to Antony.
0: Would
2: thou and those thy scars had once prevail to make me fight at land?
0: So remember that, when the soldiers told him to fight by land, but he insists on fighting at sea. That soldier is back.
3: Hast thou done so? The kings that have revolted and the soldier that has this morning left
1: thee would have still followed thy heels.
5: Who's gone this morning.
3: Who? One never near thee. Call for Enobarbas, he shall not hear thee, or from Caesar's camp say, I am none of thine.
0: So this is, we last saw Ina Barbus, who was um, kind of comforting Antony. Now he's gone. When did he leave? Well, he left before the last scene. OK, yeah, this is those wh- what am I thinking m- one of those what am I thinking moments? Um, after we last saw Ina Barbas, we hear music on the stage, and that's Hercules leaving Antony. And I think that that's the moment in which we're getting a kind of representation of the b- betrayal by the closest friend. That is that it's the god Hercules whom Antony loved now leaves him. And what that means in reality is that the person Antony loved, the way he loves Hercules, the person who was Antony's best friend, his deepest friend, is leaving him at that moment. So the idea of Antony being abandoned that's what that scene with the air full of the, depart- the God's departing music gives you. And now we see that abandonment. So Antony can't believe this. Antony.
2: What sayest thou?
3: Sir, he is with Caesar. So his, ch- his chest and treasure he has not with him.
0: Okay, stop right there. Why does Eros say that?
3: Maybe it's to say that he ran like he didn't bring anything with him at all. He just left.
0: Yeah. So that is certainly um, what it looks like for a moment. Um, But I don't think that's actually, we're going to find out that that's actually not what's going on. So um, Antony. Is he gone?
3: Most certain.
2: Go Eros. Send his treasure after. Do it detain no jot, I charge thee. Write to him. I will subscribe. Gentle adieus and greetings. Say that I wish he never find more cause to change a master. Oh, my fortunes have corrupted honest men. Dispatch,
5: Eno Barbas.
0: Okay, so I, th- I think it's just, can't believe it. Dispatch and then, Eno Barbas. He can't believe that. So I think what's going on here is that Eros immediately gets what antony is going to want to do that as soon as er- that eros says sir his chests and treasures he has not with him eros says that because he knows that antony will want to send them after enobarbus because that's who antony is that antony who has nothing the full Caesar versus Antony's emptiness. That's what Ina Barbas has said, that he should dream knowing all measures, that the full Caesar will answer his emptiness. Now, Antony with nothing is still sending everything that Ina Barbas has abandoned back to him. But what's crucial here is that this is what, this is why I was insisting so much last week on the people who know Antony, what's crucial here is how well Eros knows Antony, that he knows that this is relevant information for Antony because he knows what Antony will do. And that's why there's no, again, going back to the question, what kind of reaction do you need from other people on stage to understand why someone says something here? There is no reaction here. Eros gets it immediately. He doesn't say, sir, are you serious? because he knows that all he has to do is tell antony that enobarbus has left his stuff and antony will want to send it after him okay let's try quickly to do um another uh another two scenes if at all possible they're both short so we now need um, um agrippa caesar enobarbus and delabella um Talia, you didn't speak in the last one, right? So, Talia... No,
3: I, I did, but I can, I can read again.
0: Oh, and Alice, did you speak?
3: I did, but I had like one line, so I don't mind speaking again.
0: Um, okay, That's why don't we start with Talia and Alex so that you get a little bit more time. So, Talia, you be Agrippa, Alex, you be Caesar, uh, Cassie, you be Ina Barbas, and Ari, you be um Go
3: forth, Agrippa, and begin the fight. Our will is Antony be took alive, make it so known. Caesar, I shall. The time of universal peace is near.
0: So again, remember that's the Pax Romana. So he's predicting 200 years of peace, but it's also the Prince of Peace is coming. That is the time of the birth of Jesus is near. Um, So that's our world. And what, what Shakespeare is doing is making it clear that it's the end of the world for Antony and Cleopatra, the beginning of our world, but it's not clear at all which world is to be preferred. We're definitely, I don't think, on Caesar's side, but go on, the time of universal peace is near.
3: Um, Prove this prosperous day, the three-nut world shall bear the olive freely.
0: Uh, The olive is a symbol of peace. Um, You guys know who Sacco and Vanzetti are? people accused of a crime they didn't commit very famous trial in um, in uh, Dedham Massachusetts lots of movies about them Vanzetti when he was finally um, executed they were both executed uh, Vanzetti but they were a worldwide um, it was a worldwide issue the last thing Vanzetti did was he swallowed a fresh olive hole so that an olive tree the tree of peace would grow out of his grave so interesting sidebar. Okay, go on. Enter a messenger. I'll be the messenger. Antony has come into the field.
3: Go charge Agrippa. Plant those that have revolted in the van that Antony may seem to spend his fury upon himself.
0: So again, a typical Caesarian move. Everyone who has betrayed Antony, let them be in the vanguard so that Antony spends his fury on himself, as though they are all an Antony, or as though that's another version of the himself thing. Um, sorry, I, I gave too many roles. Um, Ina barbus
1: Alexis did revolt and went to Jewry on affairs of Antony. There did dissuade great Herod to incline himself to Caesar and leave his master Antony. For these pains Caesar hath hanged him, Canidius and the rest that fell away have entertainment but no honorable trust. I have done ill of which I do accuse myself so sorely that I will joy no more.
0: So Ina Barbas has heard this and he's depressed and he knows he's done wrong. Um, okay, I'll, I'll be the soldier. Did, did I assign the soldier? Ari, are you the soldier?
2: I can be the soldier.
0: Okay, go for it.
2: Um, Ina Barbas. Antony hath after thee sent all thy treasure with his bounty overplus. The messenger came on my guard, and at thy tent is now unloading up his mules.
0: Okay, so notice again, Antony's overplus, our overplus of shipping shall we burn. Now Antony has sent everything that's yours and his bounty in addition to that. And um, all your stuff is at, um, at your tent, a Barba's.
1: I give it you.
2: Mock not, Ina Barbus. I tell you true. Best you saved the bringer out of the host. I must attend mine office or would have done it myself. Your emperor continues still a joke.
0: Wait, stop there for a second. So this is I mentioned this before. This is where I think I convinced Harold Bloom that he was wrong about something. Um, the soldier says, mock not Ina Barbus. And Bloom took that to mean that Ina Barbas laughed at the idea that Antony would do this. And I said, no, what's going on here is that, as with Eros, it only, it takes no time at all for Ina Barbas to see that the soldier must be telling the truth. He gets Antony. The soldier thinks there's no way Ina Barbas could have believed this. This is unbelievable what Antony did. The soldier thinks that Enobarbus won't believe it, but Enobarbus knows Antony and he believes it without a beat. He believes it instantaneously in the same way that Eros has said earlier, sir, he hath not his treasure with him. Um, That they get immediately, they know Antony, they get it immediately. And then Really, maybe the most characteristic description of Antony is your emperor continues still a Jove He's got nothing, but he is still a Jove. He continues to be preternaturally generous and notice that now we have a Jove He may not be an Antony anymore, but as far as other people are interacting with him, they can still see him as a Jove. Okay, Ina Barbas will just finish this um, last speech. Ina Barbas.
1: I am alone the villain of the earth, and I feel I am so most. O oh, Antony, thou mine of bounty, how wouldst thou have paid my better service when my turpitude thou dost so crown with gold? This blows my heart. If swift thought break it not, a swifter mean shall outstrike thought. The thought will do it, I feel. I fight against thee? No.
0: I fight against thee?
1: I will go seek some ditch wherein to die. The foulest best fits my latter
0: part of life. Okay, so there he is, another moment of O oh, Antony, when Antony isn't there. And again, thou mine of bounty. There again, we see that word bounty associated with Antony. And so Ina Barbas knows he's blown it. It's not only that you have the um, um, betrayal and the, uh, the betrayal of friendship, but now the return. I also love, I'll just say Antony's line in the previous scene, my fortunes have corrupted honest men. That is he blames himself for Ina Barbas's betrayal. My fortunes have corrupted honest men. Um, Okay, so we will um, pick up Thursday at 1230 for, uh, again, not required. um, But uh, I hope that um, I'll see a bunch of you. And um, in the meantime, have a good couple of days um, staying safe and socially distancing. and uh, Cassie, we're supposed to speak. So what I'm going to do is send you a link. Otherwise, this will be recorded, which is, um, uh, you know, it's office hours. So I'll just send you a link in a minute to another Zoom meeting, which won't be recorded. Okay. Okay, everyone.
4: Thursday, not Friday. Thursday, not Friday.
0: On um, both Thursday and Friday. Oh. Oh.
4: Thursday, okay. Twelve thirty
0: Friday, twelve thirty.
4: And yeah. that's the last class.
0: We'll see, we'll try. Um, it depends if LV asks interesting questions or not.
4: I apologize. No, no,
0: no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm happy to, to do it Saturday and Sunday too. What else are you gonna, you gonna do, right? No sports on TV, can't go out. It's all good.
4: I'd be happy to be here if you're on the weekend.
0: Okay, So we'll see, but we'll try to finish by Friday. Okay, everybody, see you later. And I thank you. I'll send you a different link, Cassie. Okay. Bye bye.